0: Tell me, did you listen to the last podcast? You will.
1: It just kind of seems like now, like you were saying, this, with this fervor of you know America first and building walls and stuff like that, that he's certainly kind of started to focus on everybody. You know, he's not just kind of focusing on the ones that have done something wrong. You know, he sees it as you know you've, you've created the original sin of coming over that over the border. And now you gotta go. It doesn't matter if you've done anything wrong, whether you've been a good person, whether you've got kids, you gotta go. And he's basically just gonna start looking to clean house, I think.
0: Joe, I learned so much from you. Oh,
1: thank you. On a daily <laughs> basis. That comes from reading a lot of a lot of history books. <laughs> he's nowadays, you never know, but no, he could be a hipster from Brooklyn. That's you know, true. Make it growing his own, you know his own hops to make his own beer and stuff. You never know.
0: (laughs) Superman. I just don't like the gluten.
1: Exactly, and he curates his own spices and stuff, definitely. Turns out gluten, it's
0: kryptonite. There you go. mind-blown. And they said, listen, in order to protect your freedom from this bad thing that happened, we're just going to have to go over there. And do a bunch of fucked up shit over there to protect your freedom over over here. Right. If you were to describe what our big threat now is in the United States, in our world, uh, what is it?
1: Oh, the perceived threat now is definitely, it's going to be international terrorism. Definitely more specifically Islamic terrorism. That's basically what they Don't use. be
0: afraid to say it. Right. Say radical exactly. Islamic terrorism. That's basically why they always want to say it. They always want to keep labeling it. The threat really then in the Batman v Superman movie should be radical Kryptonian terrorism. Not all Kryptonians. Right. All one of them that, exactly. are, that but, are left.
1: What's one person's freedom fighters, one person's terrorist. Yeah, I think America is kind of like, you can say it's like an allegory for Rocky. You know, when we first started, you know, we were the up-and-comer. You know, we fought hard, we had the Eye of the Tiger, and now we've kind of gotten fat and lazy. And,
0: are we know. Rocky three, or are we...? Uh, you may not necessarily go to war, but just the threat of war is enough to keep people in check. It's a very fragile kind of peace. Right. It's
1: basically just uh, like, almost like a Mexican standoff. But they basically had they both just stood standing with guns in each other's face and you just assume the other guy would never fire, because if you did, you'd do the same and you'd
0: both die. So. Hey, listen, I will not have you smearing Oompa Loompas on my <laughs> on my podcast. me. How did they tell you, the last speaker? Well, no, the teachers came into the rooms or guidance counters or whatever they were, staff. They came in and they asked for, you know, they asked like, oh, does anyone here have family who works in the World Trade Center? That glass buildings under the World Trade Center, that's where I was. No so, that's my that's,
1: way. Yeah, I worked for Nomura Securities in there, yeah. <laughs> so I was, you know, like I, said, I had friends that walked into the World Trade Center, and walked right out. Like I said, but I do think, like I said also, we kind of got a little more love for the rest of the country because we are always seen as being... You know we're the loudmouth, you know New Yorkers and whatever. And I think at that point people kind of source, source instead of being New Yorkers, we were
0: all Americans. I guess you would say. Wow, and that's amazing because all of America says that day we were all New Yorkers. Right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. You know what? Fuck Clark Kent. All right, fuck it. Because in this movie, he's he, in this series, he's always wanted to be a hero. And then when he finally gets to be a hero, oh, I don't care. I don't want this responsibility. Right. You know? Oh, well,
1: that's a typical kid. They want it until
0: the they kid. got it, and then once they got it, they don't want it. I really don't think it's up to the I don't think it's up to an entire uh, one person to speak for an entire religion. Actually, better yet, I don't think it's up for to an entire religion to speak for extremists. Right. Unless you're going to hold everyone to an equal standard, unless Dylan Roof commits a mass shooting, you're going to ask Christian leaders to speak out against it. Right. You know that's that that's just it. It's it's um, it it works both ways. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Politopop podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I'm your host, Mike Booch, and I'm sitting here with my colleague, Joe. Just like Sade only needs one name. That's all it takes. If you are looking to connect with us, feel free to contact us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. You can send us your opinion, send us your thoughts, send us your feedback on politipopcast at gmail.com. Find our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. Listen to us on SoundCloud, listen to us on iTunes, hell, just find a way to listen to us. This is part two of the Batman vs. Superman episode and its correlation to the War on Terror. Last time, if you haven't listened yet, we spoke a little bit about Superman side of things, and today we are going to speak about the Batman side of things. So... Joe, do you think that it's fair to say that Batman, in this whole instance, in this whole story, represents the United States in general? Or does he just represent a specific group? Or, or, you know, a specific group of people that would benefit from this war or seek to... I think he's definitely a, a symbol for America. I mean, he's what people would look at
1: as the old West justice. The guy that takes the justice to his own hands to make things right that he sees wrong. So I definitely think he's he's seen as like America. He's also like the the tough guy, you know. He's like the John Wayne kind of a guy. You know, he's always you know never backs down from a fight, even when you know the alien tells him not to come out. You know, he's <laughs> gonna come back
0: out on purpose. Well, Just listen he said here, it. partner. Exactly. On dark Knight. All right. Uh, yeah, I, pr- I pretty much thought that too. That Batman is. The the personification of the United States, of all of its ire, of all of its courage, of all of its indignation in this in this allegory of the war on terror, which is really the best way to stomach this film. Once again, is to see it as an allegory it makes it a lot easier to watch. So at the beginning of the film, Bruce Wayne starts off with this whole monologue about uh, there was a time. Uh, before, there were perfect things. They were diamond absolutes. But things fall, things on Earth. And what falls is fallen? Wait, really? What the fuck does that even mean? Sorry, I, I took it right from IMDb, so it's just weird to me. What fall, no shit, what falls is fallen. It's fallen down, dude. Uh, I guess he means that when it has fallen, it can't be picked up. Right, There's not come back. Bad things, like he's referring to his parents. Do you think that this whole idea of uh, this whole nostalgia of there being a time when things were great, when they were perfect, when they were diamond absolute, does that remind you of the Make America Great Again nostalgia?
1: Oh, yeah. And that's, but that's definitely a theme you see throughout America. You'll always see because they say it now about when they want to go back to the great times of Reagan. Then they wanted to go back to the times of the 50s. I mean, if you talk to the grandparents in the 50s, they talk about how their children were out of control after Elvis. (laughs) It wasn't like the good old days when they were kids, you know, because they're like, you know, they had a Great Depression generation and they went through the hard times. And everybody always sees it, you know, as, you know, when they grew up, it was always better for them.
0: That's a theme that I found that's usually pretty common. This theme that where we are now is uh, is the state of chaos and that the world's going to hell because... Uh, even if you just want to go with the, the, the parents being like, oh, kids these days and everything. Like all these millennials, right? There's all this hate for the millennials right. uh, because they, they don't want to work and they love art and they, they are allergic to gluten and shit like that. Right. And, and They all got trophies. Exactly. Oh, yeah. They all get those participation <laughs> trophies <laughs> yeah. and shit like that. They don't that. earn what they get. Oh my God! Uh, right. But then, but then, even before that, it was it was, oh uh, this this generation of kids they're listening to rock music and rap music and it's terrible. It's, oh yeah, I mean my generation, generation X, got it from our parents that were the baby
1: boomers. You know we you know they listened to what they listened to like you know doo wop in the fifties and sixties and <laughs> Motown and we grew up listening to you know. N.W.A. and stuff like that and Pearl Jam and you know the whole grunge kind of movement and <laughs> like I said, Yeah, so you're they're always saying you know, like you know your music is crap My music was good, and then I'm sure if you talk to their parents They thought long smoke was good and Elvis was crap and corrupting kids and oh of course so and it's, 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 always, it's always kids, gonna, it's always yeah. it's always gonna happen that way. You know, what I'm saying it's just it's always that nostalgia for the lost days that never really
0: happened didn't they censor Elvis? They, in some uh, right. recordings, they would only, they would only put him, him. him from waist up. Yeah, waist up because of his uh, magical pelvis. Yes. Yes. And Elvis the pelvis. That was way before. War. People were talking about bitches and hoes. Yeah. You had Elvis the pelvis. Yeah. So when we start at the whole beginning of this film, uh, we talk about Batman's motivation uh, for doing what he wants to do, which is stop Superman and why he wants to stop Superman. The whole idea is that he was there in the middle of the Metropolis, uh, I think they just called it the event, right? The Metropolis event. The the disaster in which Zod and Superman leveled uh, most of the city in their their title fight. I love that we got to see his view of this whole thing because in the Man of Steel movie we got to see Superman struggling and going through buildings and all this other stuff. And we only got to see a little bit of what was going on on the ground with Perry White and and, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, the intern and, uh, what is Michael Kelly plays him? Oh, crap, I forgot his name, but he's like an ongoing character in the comic. Lombard. Yeah, yeah, Lombard. Yeah. He plays this dick. So you got to see a little bit of that, but from Bruce's point of view it was awesome. I love the whole idea that he's this big CEO of Wayne Enterprises, and he didn't have to be there. And you see him arrive in a chopper. He gets right in that car that was so amazingly product placed, and uh, and he's and he's going through this through this this whole disaster. And there's very much this once again we talked about it last episode this 9-11 imagery in which there's all this huge dust cloud and there's the as Kevin Smith put it right the worst thing that's ever happened and when everyone's running away from it he's running toward it and right. he was you know such a first responder there and it was such a, just from the trailers I remember it was one of the most iconic uh, the parts of this movie is everyone's running away and there's danger and the, the unknown and, uh, and and fear and terror and Batman is the first person to run right into it right and uh and I thought that I thought that that was great. I thought that was that was a good call on their part I definitely think it plays into that whole him being like
1: the i guess like i said being with Superman being the alien from the outsider, he's the ultimate American where he's running you know he's at least gonna save the day he's gonna run into the storm, like you said everybody's running away from the from the event and he's running towards it he's like that ultimate guy he's gonna ride to the rescue, whether it' was, if it was a Western, he would been on a horse riding towards town to you yeah. know, face off whatever it is. or yeah. Whatever it happens to be, like all the different motifs we've had, he's that guy that's going to ride in and he's going to be the one that saves it. But of course, because it's America, he's going to be the ultimate capitalist, running in and yes. getting all, you know, I don't care how much money I'm worth. Oh, it's about the people. I'm going to go save everybody. And <laughs> he just he runs into the cloud, like you said, and disappears into the into the darkness of the of the chaos.
0: And he's going to try to do what he can to save as many as he can. Yeah, and you... you the it wasn't in the theatrical edition, but in the extended edition, they really hammer it home where right. that whole dust cloud hits, and and you see an entire like line of school children, I guess, that were on a field trip going through, and then there's the one girl whose mom died in Wayne Tower, and uh, I guess it was yeah Wayne Tower, and and Batman grabs her and he looks up at the sky at the shit that's going on with Superman and Zod, and you just see this fire burning in him, right, and uh, and he's not. The thing is he's not wrong and I like I like the idea that you could just you could see his side of things. But honestly this whole thing could have just been settled by the two of them talking it out. That's all it would have had to have been. Right. Was him being like, "Hey dude, are you killing people?" and Batman's like, "I mean not a lot of people, you know, not not you know." And then for Batman to be like, "Hey, did you know you, know you leveled in the whole city, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, but I'm trying to do the right thing." That's all Right. Well, it would have been. It was a huge misunderstanding. Well, maybe they should have had a little sit-down at the Justice League, you know, and
1: straighten it out, maybe. <laughs> but like I said, that's, you know, that's why I think the, the the use of it looks like the same footage from both movies, but the change of camera angle. So now you're down on street level like Batman looking up at them cutting buildings in half with their heat ray and yeah. flying through them. And so you can take in the entire giant scope of the destruction. Like I said, then you won't really understand the kind of the the fire that's burning in him that you know this is my city that I've protected is being absolutely decimated you know kind of
0: really kind of like you said brings it into focus and shows the gravitas of it yeah and that's actually that's a that's a great theme that we're going to explore a little bit later on this whole idea of uh, of this powerlessness because I think that was a big part of it if he could have gotten up uh, you know save that girl and be like all right I'll be right back and then fly up in the sky and fight the both then he would have done it oh yeah definitely but he can't Right, and I think that that is the worst thing for something terrible to be happening, and you can't do anything about it. The helplessness, certainly, exactly. Uh, now, one thing, one thing I noticed is that, and this is not just about Batman in the film; it's about Batman in general, right? And I had I had this this discussion with my dad uh, over dinner because that's the kind of house I grew up in was the nerd house. Uh, was how being Batman is a very selfish pursuit. I, I believe it is. Bruce Wayne, if he dedicated his resources and time to the, the core of crime in Gotham City, to the disenfranchised people and to better mental health programs and to uh, it, helping to get a more, one, a more efficient police force, two, a more ethical police force, and three, a better funded police force, Gotham could be saved. But because this little boy lost his parents, he needs to go out and do it himself. Right. I think he's fighting that battle for everybody.
1: I think he sees it as. No In his mind, yes. Right, deals with that. But like you said, I think if he, right, thinks on a larger scale, that would certainly be the better ways to get, you know, the Joker, you know, some, some psychiatric sessions and stuff.
0: Well, yeah. And the, the one thing I noticed is that he doesn't really seem to f- fight unless he can fight another person. Unless he has a physical representation of what's wrong. Right. And it's so black and white to him in some cases that this is crime and I need to beat this thing. Which I think was, uh, which I think is, is so very reminiscent of the United States as well, right? That, that it's, it's so much easier for us to say, oh, those are the bad guys. We are going to fight them. Or these are the criminals. We need to lock up these criminals, never mind the shitty neighborhoods they grew up in or never mind the fact that the crime rate went down when abortion was legalized and now we're putting we're putting all these all these stops to Planned Parenthood and everything like that which will definitely see an increase in crime and unwanted births and pregnancies and all this other stuff how much do you think the U.S. helps the the homeless and the starving of its when we're talking about disenfranchised people uh, the homeless and the starving of its own country while they send more weapons to the army and more, uh, and to the law enforcement and to, to militarize them. Well, I think it's the same thing. He's dealing
1: with the after effects as opposed to the causes. So instead of, like you said, instead of Batman, or in this case, the United States the Government, instead of putting it into things like, you know, uh, you know, breakfast for kids in school for, at the school programs, for, like funded. you said, psychiatric, you know, help for people that have mental illness stuff like that, they're dealing with it after the fact. So they're dealing with after the guy that has mental illness acts out and he gets arrested because he, he is not on his meds or something happens and he gets set off. So they're always dealing with the effects of it instead of dealing with the actual problems. I think that's what the major thing is because I think they essentially don't want to deal with them. I think by allowing them to continue, you'll have a distraction. You know what I'm saying? So you know you don't ever let it get to a point where the general populace will revolt like it did, say, in the 60s. We had people that acted out on a much larger scale, it was brought the end of the you know Vietnam War and stuff like that and some big changes. I think they do keep it the sense, you know, they'll keep it bottled up to a certain level, but they'll always keep it going because it always allows that, you know, have that distraction to be like, all right, it's those people's fault why it's happening. You know what I'm saying? In the eighties it was because, you know, if people were on crack, that that was the problem. You know, or it was in the 70s there was heroin. So they'll always allow there to be this kind of like allowance of like a reservoir of what they'll always see as the evil. You know what I'm saying? To continue to flow. That's just like, you know, just like in, in Batman where, you know, these guys always get put away in, in Arkham and they all seem to get away.
0: You know, it's <laughs> the like revolving he, no, door Jesus, of Arkham. You, you're,
1: you're Bruce Wayne, man. Build a little better prison. Yeah. You know, and they'll never get out. He'll solve the problem. You know, like I said, he, he doesn't deal with, you know what I'm saying, why is the Joker in this situation? Why is he, how does he become who he is? You're dealing with him after he's become the Joker. But if your dad, you know, when he was alive before he died, or you, you know what I'm saying, start doing. You know what I'm saying? More so than just funding orphanages, why not do something to stop the fact that these kids are becoming orphans? Yes. You know what I'm saying? So, I, you know, getting them, you know, whether it's healthcare, in, you know, in the real world now, healthcare, you know, better protections you're at work people aren't getting hurt, whether it's in coal mines or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Get these things in place that help protect people so that you don't have these, you know, essentially externalities that are created by these problems that you have. So you get all these, you know, like you said, unwanted pregnancies because you don't have parenthood providing, you know, uh, things like, you know... Um, like birth control and stuff like mm-hmm. that, so you're basically dealing with it after the fact, the horse is out of the barn already, the costs grow exponentially than if you would have dealt with it to begin with. You know, if you would have gotten a checkup, it's a lot better you know, than catching it early than finding out three years later the person's got cancer, but if you had done a screening and a mammogram, Boom. You would have been so much cheaper, 50 bucks versus thousands. Yes. But like I said, they never think that far ahead, they're always looking at, you know, penny wise, pound foolish, I'll save a penny today, even though it'll come to $10 tomorrow. So that seems like the major problem that they never seem to deal with things at the root before things grow. They always deal with it once it gets to a certain
0: level and they have to deal with it. Well, yeah. Similarly, uh, did you know that homelessness has actually gone down, which is nice. More people have homes. But uh, welfare assistance is actually being sought by working families. And that percentage has risen well, uh, for welfare assistance from 42 to 51% since last year. So, this is, this is attributed to a wage problem. Right. Right? When we're talking, we need a decent livable wage. Right. Damn it. Two Bernie impersonations. I'm killing it. I'm killing it here. Uh, but, uh, you know, meanwhile, we have all these people that are, that, A, you don't want to help out the welfare queens. Right. But, B, you don't want to provide a decent living wage. Right. Uh, meanwhile, we can afford, uh, in 2016, $274.9 million went to what is called justice assistance. I mean, that's, that's incredible. You can spend that much on... on... Now, now, like I said, listen, I don't, I don't mind if it's more... If it's a protective thing. If you're getting better Kevlar, better armor, more armored vehicles and stuff like that for, for law enforcement, that's fine. But in a lot of cases, they're being militarized. Right. What war are you fighting exactly? Right, who you're fighting against. Yes. You know, the the idea is to uh, protect and to serve. And if you go in with a with a mentality of this is war and it's me against you from the get go, things aren't gonna turn out well. Right. You need to be protected, but do you need to go into everything with riot gear?
1: Right, it used to you be know? just the large cities with a SWAT, you know, a SWAT team yeah. where now everybody has, you know, the armored, you know, vehicles and they have, like you said, the full the full Kevlar gear set up with the face masks and the shields and yeah. like you said you end up looking like an occupying force that you're moving into these neighborhoods as opposed to like you said to normal what they used to be called like the neighborhood cop that would know Walt all the, the people bee, and know right.
0: name swing around his his billy club right and, or
1: even like sometimes you'll see something nice like the other day on Facebook they had the, the cop that was in that little dance contest against a little kid oh I love where, you know right we, you know you're making that connection whereas this kind of creates you know, not only the physical barrier and having all this armament separating you, you're also creating, you know, this intimidation factor, which also creates this, you know, separation and a fear factor with the people. So then they start acting out, you know, because out of, out of fear and just kind of just escalates everything and creates higher tension.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's important to, it, it's important to really tackle the problem at its source. And similar to to where our country stands, Batman himself is a very reactionary person. That when he sees Joe Chill kill his parents, in, in this case, I in my storyline I still don't believe Joe Chill was the person that killed his parents. In my storyline, he never finds out who did it. And so every night when he goes out, every villain is treated the same is treated as if they were Joe Chill.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a pretty cool way to look at it, right? Uh, that's a never-ending saga, then. It, well, exactly. That's really it. And uh, that's the whole point of him letting Dick Grayson get vengeance. Right. Dick Grayson does find the person that... Well, he Batman finds her. the person. Yeah, and he gets justice. Batman, as a kid, I think ever since his parents died, he's been stuck in a perpetual state of childhood. Why else would you put on a costume and go out and do do what you do? And additionally... If you were doing it because you felt no one else could do it, that's fine. But don't tell me there's not a style to it. Why does everything have to be shaped like a bat? Right. Everything, dude. You have to have the fast cars. You have to have the big dinosaur in your cave. You have to have the spaceship. You have to, like, literally, he's living the life that a kid would live. Right. And he never has adult relationships for the most part, either. He's always hanging out with kids. Yeah. You know, he's got he's got Alfred. He treats like shit in most stories, And, uh, and he always has his Robin. Dick Grayson grows up to be Nightwing. Right. Jason Todd grows up to be dead, and then he grows up to be the Red Hood. Tim Drake grows up to be Red Robin. Bruce Wayne stays as Batman. Everyone gets to grow up, except for him. Right. Even in Batman Beyond, he specifically says in his mind he doesn't call himself Bruce. That's not his internal voice. Right. He's Batman, through and through. So, in his head, he, he, he sees Joe Chill do what he does. He sees this guy kill his parents, and he thinks that's what I have to stop. But don't stop the desperation that caused him to kill someone for a wallet and a pearl necklace. Right. Uh, so that's. You know, that, that's very, uh... I think that's very telling. Now, there is... a part at the beginning of the movie where Lois Lane is talking to this, uh... Th- this warlord in Africa. And she asks him if you if he is a terrorist. And, uh... by the way, point for feminism. When he says, uh, oh, they sent a woman? She goes, I'm not a woman, I'm a journalist. I really like that whole thing. Nice. You know, she's her job first. But, uh... She asks him, are you a terrorist? And he says that he is not a terrorist. And he questions who pays for the drones that fly overhead? Who's the real terrorist? Right? At one point in the extended version, the US sends a missile to kill one dude, despite the fact that it's gonna hurt a bunch of people at the beginning of the movie, and Superman uh, is the one to stop it. Who, who is the, the real terrorist? Batman, if he's representation for the US. Is Batman a terrorist? I think Batman's the vigilante. Okay. Uh, I mean, he does
1: kind of create a reign of terror, but on the criminal underground. But he does it in a more vigilante way. You know, so he doesn't... I guess you can always look at it as the the dichotomy of the freedom fighter and the terrorist because from his mind, he is the good guy. Like I said, if you're the cops, you don't see him as a good guy. <laughs> and so that's why they're always you shoot terrorists. at him with a shotgun, three right? Because they, they see him as you know a criminal amongst criminals. So I mean,
0: we've always been criminals, right?
1: So he is a terrorist in in some eyes, like I said, in the eyes of the of the of the, of the police. But you like said, but the, yes, I'm sure the person on the street where they just got saved from somebody that was gonna you know mug them or rob them, you know, Batman is certainly not a terrorist. Yes. you know, so like I said, it's just that you know, that perspective of of your life story and how he falls into it, that kind of gives you that lens of how to see him. You know what I'm saying? Is he the guy that's making your life hell as the cop? Or is he the guy that's saving your life?
0: It's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, he is. But but he is acting, I think,
1: out of a good place in his heart. So he, you know what I'm saying? I, I think he is, like you said, acting in a good way. He's just, like you said, because he does have that kind of almost immaturity in that the way he's acting out, you know, that he's not doing it in the right way. He's acting out like a child would. You know what I'm saying? Where the kid had something taken away from him. So now he's like a little bad kid. He's slapping people. He's hitting people. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, you know, if he was allowed to mature, he would have dealt with it in a different way. Having such, having, a, having such a young age, I think like you said, he did stunt his his maturity and his His emotional growth. growth and know. he's like stuck in that childish thing where he's acting out.
0: Yes. It, you know, ever since he was eight years old, he's been Batman. Now, since you're saying terrorism is in the eye of the beholder when it comes to Batman, what about the United States? Uh, if you look at just the way we were founded, the British saw us as terrorists. I mean, in the old w- rules
1: of war, you weren't supposed to shoot the officers, but that's one of the things that we would do, because they would cause chaos. I mean, we weren't, a, you know, we didn't fight like they did. We didn't line up in a line and just take shot at each other like idiots. They would hide in trees and be like snipers and just run around and fight unconventionally, kind of like what we ended up facing, you know, in Vietnam. In we Vietnam. So, yeah, I mean, we, I wouldn't say we invented terrorism. We certainly invented, you know, we grilla, guerrilla no, no. warfare, what yeah. we considered to be guerrilla warfare, or asymmetrical warfare, where we didn't fight by the normal rules. We'd break them all the time. All I mean, fair. Yeah, exactly. And then we did it in other things. We, you know, we, we brought, you know, the destruction of cities in the civil war. We would burn entire cities. Wow. You know, we were the first people to start doing that. And then we did it, you know in other places. We did it, you know, in Europe. We would do it by bombing, you know, places like Dresden till there was nothing left or dropping nuclear bombs on Japanese cities. So we regularly would go beyond, you know, everybody else in kind of essentially in the savagery of what we do. I mean, we're essentially like the one that would not act and then eventually just snap. Because we didn't get into the wars <laughs> as early as everybody else would in World War One or World War Two, we'd get in later but once we did we would essentially go in and just basically just. We didn't start it, but white sure ended it. Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't start the fight, but we would certainly would end it. So, like I said, we'd always come in late, and we would just start throwing haymakers and start laying out countries. a <laughs> you know, drunk friend! Yeah, you know, devastating, like- you know, Italy or devastating Germany, and you know, just completely destroying these areas. You know, essentially as you know, as like a punishment to put you back in your place. So whether it was you know doing it to Mexico or doing it you know take over the Hawaiian Islands or doing it to the Spanish and the Spanish American War. That's what we would always do. So basically, we would just you know, the quiet guy that would just finally snap and just wreck people.
0: But the, uh, but 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 Obama sent drone strikes, overseas and and he wanted to kill leaders from Al Qaeda. Did we always get those Al Qaeda leaders with our precise missile strikes or our drone strikes? No, there's no such thing. I mean, they were always talk about how they would
1: accidentally hit a wedding party have ended up killing someone's kids along with uh, it? I mean,
0: hashtag Yemen. Exactly. I mean, it's yeah. just
1: it's. I think the drone thing just gives them that sense of distance because we don't have people on the ground that can get killed. You know, you're doing it from remote. You know, control from Nevada or from Florida.
0: Yeah. And I think that
1: distance also makes you colder because now you don't have you don't have that risk. So now you just now it's almost like a video game. Like an Ender's Game. Yeah, it's a, basically it's a video game now, and you're just doing these runs and dropping bombs, and it just it it doesn't allow you to have the proportionality you normally would have where you'd be like all right we've done enough because you'd see you'd walk through the village yeah. and see the
0: devastation have you seen ender's game yet no Oh, i haven't either i heard well i heard the movie wasn't as good as the book but i heard it's, oh, okay it's pretty good we'll talk about it in a bit but uh but yeah so that was uh, you know that was one thing did you know that the one little boy that was killed in a drone strike in yemen his sister actually just died in the raid in really in the yemen raid yep in the one that the the Trump just did? Yep. Really? Yes. Oh my yeah, god. My sister died, yeah. Uh but but Joe, if if we're sending over drone strikes and we're bombing people, we're bombing Japan, we're doing it all for a good reason, so we're not terrorists. That's not terror, is it? Well, it's the people that's being delivered to it is. Because you said I mean, because of the
1: proportionality you're doing it in. It's you know what I'm saying, like before we dropped the two bombs, we firebombed the 50 largest cities in Japan. But they're not... I mean, it, was, it basically was considered to be a country of wood and paper. So it's not like wow. it was here where it was just cement, where it doesn't burn. I mean, they burned literally the cities down to nothing, to the ground. 50 largest cities. But Joe, the and you would destroy, guys. You would destroy like, from New York to, about Chattanooga in size. That's how, you know, you'd destroy Charlotte and Chicago and, you know, the amount of devastation would be, you know, it was... I know at one point they did talk about how... Uh, they were afraid that they were going to be compared to the Germans wow. because they were causing so much damage in Japan. Holy that shit! That they were they were causing the new atrocities.
0: But the but the the people that the people that get killed are always bad. We we always we always get the bad guys, and we always do it for the right reasons. So we're the good guys. That's because that's our yeah. book that you're reading. <laughs> I mean, you're never you're
1: never going to make yourself the bad guy. Like I said, they did get into it, you know, for good reasons. They were fighting, you know, bad people. Whether it was the Japanese that were causing problems and invading Korea and Manchuria and. I mean, they were kidnapping women from Korea and bringing them back and making them sex slaves, and they were just, you know, Jesus. killing tons of people. I mean, so there is an altruistic reason, but at a certain point, you do go from being the good guy to being the bad guy when you take it, when I mean, you're starting to cause more damage than they were. So it's tempting you're going, you're crossing over that line
0: to now being, like you said before, the offensive destruction. Are, are, you, are you saying that you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain?
1: I, uh, 100%. As they say, as you get farther away from the, uh, the start of, of your dream or your project, the more corrupted it gets. So that's certainly what will happen. As, as you start out the war, you start out with this altruistic thing of stopping Hitler, stopping Tojo, stopping you know, Mussolini. And in the end, you're, you're, you're dropping bombs so that the French and the British can maintain their colonies in Southeast Asia before the Russians show up. So you're no longer fighting for the betterment of society or the world. You're fighting to maintain colonial you know colonial possessions in Southeast Asia. So you've, you've been corrupted. You could have stopped it earlier by just simply having an embargo on Japan. You do not have to drop bombs.
0: I think that's very much the case with Bat, of Batman. in that, especially in this film, in that he, he does start out with good intentions, but also he's very much a, by any means, necessary individual. Uh, right? Like the, the, the one... Uh, the, the stuff he does in order to get that kryptonite, that chunk of kryptonite... Is ridiculous. If you go right. through all those guys that that were working for Lex Luthor, that Batman just decimates. He explodes yeah. their cars. <laughs> he 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 That's grabs routine, one dude's though. car. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, he grabs one dude's car, to, a car, and then throws it on top of another car and crushes it. Like it's it's ridiculous. It's 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 savagery, to say the least. The thing is, is as far as the U.S. being a terrorist. It's like you said, it's in the eye of the beholder, you know. There's, there's lots of people that love this country, and I, I am one of them. I'm glad that I can say this and put it up on a podcast and not have to worry about getting decapitated for the time being. But uh, it always makes you think of Bill Hicks. You've listened to Bill Hicks. Mm-hmm. Bill Hicks was always the person that criticized his government, criticized his country, criticized... Everything. He was like a provocateur, right? What, what, uh, what hacks like Milo Yiannopoulos wished to be. The thing is, I think Bill Hicks was also a true patriot, despite all the shit that he said. And I think that you're, you have to hold your country accountable. If you have a child and your child does something bad, do you let them get away with it or do you put them in their place, tell them what they did wrong, and wish for them to do better? If you truly love something. It's because you you criticize it because you want it to be better. Right. You can't just let it get away with anything. Right. And and say, oh well, you know, we're allowed to do whatever we want. We're the good guys all the time. Are you fucking how that's that's not even naivete. I think it's a willful ignorance. Oh, definitely.
1: Like I said, it's it's the kid that you said never <laughs> you never scold, so he never thinks he does wrong. So that'll lead to bigger problems later on because you, you've never been like I said, put in check for past, you know, crimes or past, you know, transgressions. So it just also feeds into itself and they you start acting out bigger and bigger and bigger ways.
0: Yeah, and... Uh, and, uh, like, any and so anytime there's a protest, these people are called sore losers and they're called whiners and everything because, oh, well, apparently women need equal rights and trans people should be able to... To, to live their lives like human beings, <sighs> you know, crazy, crazy know. notions like that. Uh, and and these people are considered unpatriotic because they just won't let their country get away with whatever it wants to. I think it's that they won't let them... Like they They're not falling in line with
1: what the people now see as the nostalgia. That's what it is. I think they see them as people that are, are harming it and corrupting it. That's more what it is, I think. Like I said, it's because you know, like I said, in the good old days of Leave It to the Beaver, there were no trans people. You know, the wife didn't think of anything besides just taking care of the house and having the martini ready for the husband when he came home. You know, what I'm saying, then anything that challenges that that structure, that power structure of, you know, the whatever going to be, you know, the white male power structure. You know, what I'm saying, certainly then dampens it, and like I said, then you're ruining the American dream. You're ruining, the, you know, what's it what they see as like the you know, the, the cornerstone of what we're based on, on, you know, like you said, you know, these people being in, in, in power and everybody else knowing their place and not rocking the boat and not, you know, making people feel uncomfortable about the fact that they're not treated correctly. You shouldn't even address it. You know what I'm saying? You know, people should know their place and not, you know, speak up like, you know, like a child,
0: you know, it should be seen but not heard. Another thing I want to talk about was this scene where the Capitol gets blown up and... What happened in the extended version didn't actually happen in the theatrical version. You remember in the theatrical version the whole capital gets blown up and Superman's like, "Peace, I'm out," and right. he just goes. But in the extended version, you actually see him helping people. Right. And, and and being a hero, which would have been nice to to have seen, but that's the fake news for you. Exactly. I'm telling you the full truth. I'm always always painting Superman as the bad guy. But when it's actually shown on the news, Alfred sees it and he has just this look on his face. Which I think says this whole crap. I know that this is what's going to send Bruce over the edge. Because this whole time, he's been trying to fight against him, telling him, listen, we don't need to worry about this guy. You know, just, just stop doing what you're doing. Right. And, and Bruce is like, no, he's a bad dude. So all of a sudden, this explosion happens. And sure enough, Alfred knows that this is a bad thing that's going to happen. There was an interview where a woman was talking about how her brother actually died in the 9-11 of tax. And she was concerned about what his death would mean and what it would be used for. Mm-hmm. Which we already spoke a little bit about. I think we spoke about it in the last episode, right? Where we talk about how there may be ulterior motives to doing certain things. And how there still are. Every time somebody brings up torture or waterboarding, they always bring up that picture of the man jumping out of the towers and I love it and they say this is why waterboarding isn't a big deal this is why I support torture right because we need to get these guys and we will find out in a little bit that's another point I want to talk about is just torture in general and how successful it really is what, what did what did you think about Alfred seeing this explosion did you see kind of the same thing and just him being like ah oh, fuck I definitely think he saw it as the first domino that was going to
1: go down and start this whole chain reaction, that was going to happen afterwards. I think because of its size, the fact that he said it was on TV, I think it was just like you said. The, you know, it's the capital. You know, that's such a huge symbol of American freedom, and you know, or our government. So I think he definitely saw it as like this big, you know, flash of you know what's gonna what's gonna set everything off and set off this you know, line of events that's going to take place. That's eventually like you said. He thinks I think he sees it as. What's gonna consume Bruce and might end up bringing him to his end? Cause so I, I don't. I guess he's because he's almost like his dad slash grandfatherly kind of figure. I think he might see it as you know this could be the end of Bruce. This could be like you know the thing that brings him to his end as Batman or even as a person. So I think he does fear for him. I think he knows this is gonna set him off and this could be his last dance.
0: Do you think that there's been any events in the in recent history? Or do you think that there's still a potential for those kind of events? Where now us looking from a more skeptical standpoint, where we would see, okay, this one thing is being used as an excuse to do whatever we want.
1: Oh, I think so. i definitely to think so. I mean... I think that's what 9-11 was used for. Like I said, well, of course, you know, yeah. Going beyond Afghanistan. I mean, I think, you know, it was done with Vietnam with the Gulf of Tonkin incident where they said that we were shot at and we weren't. So I think there'll definitely be something like that. There'll be, like I said, they found, you know, small little events of crime in California to in intern, you know, all the Japanese. So there'll always be, you know, there'll always be looking for something. Now, whether people allow it to happen it would depend on the fear factor and how big it gets. Having had a 9-11 already... I think you would definitely leave it open to a possibility of that happening again. You know what I'm saying? It's already happened. It's happened again. We got to do something, and that's when they're gonna, you, know, you know, do something like you know round people up or start kicking people out of the country. Or I think they think that they're, they're looking for a new trigger point.
0: like Well, now I mean, now that we talk about, it, I think it's something that's already happening right now. When we talk about this ban that's happening, and people are saying the ban is unconstitutional. There's no reason to have a ban. Right. And they tried to use things like oh San Bernardino and and the the Boston bombing and all these other and uh, and Orlando which were all domestic terrorist attacks right. none of these people came here from anywhere else. They, I mean right. there were refugees a, a of, or, yeah, yeah a couple of them came here but they were they had papers and everything they right. had a right to be well, here Well, Bernie San Bernardino was an American citizen exactly yeah, he was and born here. and Orlando especially right born in New York you know raised yeah. raised in America so the situation in Batman vs. Superman, this capital incident, staged. Right. Right? I mean, it happened, but it happened because Lex Luthor was the one that did it. He orchestrated the whole thing, so that way, he could have a reason to go ahead and, and, and continue his crusade against Superman, he planted the bomb, and essentially, he made it all up. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people would call like a false flag attack.
1: You know where you basically make it look like somebody else does it to kind of like say get them going towards like this i thought this had happened in the spanish-american war that the spanish blew up to Lusitania. i mean the uh the main and you know they don't know what actually happened but they think that that's what happened it was essentially it was done on purpose to get america into the war so same kind of thing you you kind of instigate it by creating this event to kind of set things in motion so yeah that you know that's basically what he's doing is you know essentially you know giving history a nudge in a certain direction to try to get certain events to start happening to get his plan in, in, you know, into motion.
0: Now, if he were looking for another reason to justify it, could he have just made something up like, I don't know, a Bowling Green massacre? Oh, that's, that's very possible. You can go with alternative <laughs> facts. They've been very popular lately. This was something that you actually brought to my attention uh, because you are a million times more educated or just aware of this stuff. The 1% doctrine. Right. Now, what does the 1% doctrine state? Well, it's it's basically the the idea that if there's a 1% chance
1: of something happening, a nuclear attack, a terrorist attack, whatever it is, you should should treat it as a 100% chance that it's likely to happen. So (laughs) essentially, if there's any chance of anything, you treat it like it's an absolute. So it... Set you up for a,
0: a lot of uh, a lot of action. For all the people that told me I was looking way too into this, when I said, Oh, it's just about the war on terror and all and, and it's it's a, it's an allegory, and then going, Michael, it's just a movie. Here's the part where I tell you to fuck yourselves. Because <laughs> Dick Cheney quoted literally from the one percent doctrine, which he wrote. Yeah. He wrote an entire book. Yeah. Jesus, how do you realize? Well, it's it? like his whole theory. That's It'll his whole like. Anyone, a book deal. Yeah. Uh, he said if there's a 1% chance that Pakistani scientists are helping Al Qaeda build or develop a nuclear weapon, we have to treat it as a certainty in terms of our response. It's not about our analysis, it's about our response. Bruce Wayne talks to Alfred and says, if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty and we have to destroy him. Literally the words from that film. Yeah. Ba- ba- Batman is the, 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 the right-wing, hardcore
1: conservative. He's the neocon that's always looking to fight the next fight. and then When you have that kind of a mentality of 1%, you're going to find him. I mean, think about if you lived your life like that. You know, if you walk into a bar and your girlfriend's ex-boyfriend's there, maybe there is 1% chance you might get into a fight with the guy because he's he with his
0: new girlfriend. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you can't go around punching. So, punching every, so, like, literally, if you look at it, every 100 times you walk into that bar, there might be one time. And the other 99, everything's fine. Nothing would have happened, yeah. But, yes. But you make it happen 100%. Because you, so you see it essentially as
1: better safe than sorry. Like I said, but you're treating it at such a low level at one percent. Like I said, that it's at that point, then you become you become the bad guy. You should say you're taking pre-crime at that point because nothing's happened. You're just assuming hey, if something's possibly gonna happen. I gotta
0: act. Because Alfred literally says to him, "This man is not our enemy." Right. And he said, and and he goes, "Yeah, but he could be. We've seen the damage that he can cause." Do you think that Batman is? Launching this crusade against Superman out of revenge or out of... We talked about the, the pre-crime, out of the idea that he could do that stuff again. Or is it a mixture of the both?
1: I think it's almost like the uh, the mentality of never again kind of a thing. Like I said, he saw the devastation that he wrought on the city and he's he says if there's 1% chance of that ever happening again, we got to stop him. I think that's basically his, his reason for being, his reason for being is to stop this from ever occurring... You know, and ever having that kind of, you know, devastation happen, like you said, when he takes that girl into his arms, you know, in the middle of that devastation, and I think that's his mentality, is I can't have this kid go through this like I did as a kid. I can't have this happen on this large of a scale where thousands of kids are losing their parents. So he says the fact that, you know, fight this guy to stop it from ever happening again, that's, that's what he needs to do. It really hit him
0: hard. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's so similar to the whole 9-11 situation, too. That was a terrible... Which is an understatement—a terrible, terrible tragedy. Right. And yet it is thrown around so so laxadaisically, in my opinion. That do we want another 9/11 to happen? Right. Do we want another 9/11? To, well, then we have to be able to do whatever we want to do, so another 9/11 doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, you I mean use that a justification of everything at that point. Then
1: invading their own country, like I talked about earlier, torture. I mean, it. Then like said, if that's your well, we were trying to prevent, prevent terrorism. Yeah, for that 1% doctrine that leaves you open, you
0: know, to be able to do anything. And there, and there are no rules. Batman actually says in uh, the Injustice comic book, which is the comic book mm-hmm. series that's based off the Injustice fighting game, very underrated, by the way. Super good. But that's the whole thing in which Lois Lane dies, Superman, in this case vows never again, and starts taking very drastic and radical actions to ensure safety. I say in quotes... And Batman goes, if you can justify something one time, you could justify it over and over again. If you can justify it once. And that's been the case in in my history, I have done some pretty shitty things. Not terrible things, not life-threatening things, but I've done some shitty things. And all it took was one time for me to be like, oh, well, I deserve to do this. And then... Could keep on doing it over and over and over again right once you compromise yourself it's easier the second and third time
1: if each time you do it after I think it becomes even easier like I said whether it's cheating on your girlfriend you know someone trying drugs for the first mean, time like, I,
0: I didn't say that's what it was <laughs> it was but that's
1: <laughs> I well, that. like I said it, it's just it's, it's human nature that the hardest time is the first time because you're, you're going against probably what you were taught you know, that it's, you know that you don't treat people like that or you don't do those kind of things but once you've done it and then you had no repercussions, most likely. You're gonna end up doing it again because I did last time I didn't get in trouble, so I'll do it again. And then you're like, all right, I've already done this thing fifteen times, I'm an expert at it. And I'm not like, gonna mm-hmm. get caught, and so you do it again. And it just like you said, it it feeds into it, whether it's, you know, doing these things, whether it's on, you know, international level, so you start toppling governments in other countries for the benefit of, you know, companies, so you overthrow governments in Guatemala so that you know, the United Fruit Company can grow more Chiquita bananas <laughs> or you overthrow governments in Argentina for copper mines or whatever it is. It's been done. Nothing happened. You keep doing it because you get the benefit.
0: Yeah. You and you're
1: not getting the negative of it. So certainly it's something that just becomes easier. You get corrupted. That's how you get corrupted easier because you're not getting, you know, the penalty that comes with it.
0: Now, in the case of Batman versus Superman, Batman gets corrupted very easily. Uh, they don't show the first time that he kills to do what he has to do. But holy shit. And we, we even saw in, in the Dark Knight Returns animated movies that, like, Batman doesn't kill. Like, he'll go, he'll, he'll cripple a person, he'll do some pretty fucked up shit, but he won't kill. That's still a line that he doesn't necessarily cross. In the comic book, I think he crosses it once. Right. Yeah, 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 it's just once. Because even with the Joker, he snaps his neck and paralyzes him. He doesn't, he doesn't kill him. But he goes to these extreme measures, and this is something we already talked about. These extreme measures to protect humanity from Superman, but he hurts a lot of people in the process, which is kind of like the whole idea of uh, of, of starting things off with good intentions, but who really is the terrorist at a certain point? Who really is the monster? Who is the bad guy? Does the line get blurred? And that, that, that really goes straight to Alfred's whole quote, where... Uh, should I try to British British this up? Sure, I see what you got. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Gotta get into character. Everything's changed. Men fall from the sky. The gods hurl thunderbolts. Innocents die. That's how it starts, sir. Uh, the fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Which is something that I mentioned before, uh, in which he, he does feel powerless, and he ends up doing these terrible, terrible things. The way I looked at it was, he's branding people, right? You know, Alfred goes, oh, you're branding them now? And, and he sees that Batman's taking more extreme measures than he ever did. Right. Batman, on his side, sees it as he's doing what he has to do in order to stop Superman. Alfred sees it for what it really is. In my opinion, it, this is what it is. It's that he is not ready to fight Superman yet. So he's taking out his aggressions elsewhere. Right. And, and he's, uh, he's, he's branding people. He's doing bad things. He's doing things that Batman normally would not have done. Because when Batman is confident, Batman doesn't need to do those things. Right. Like a bully, right? If a bully gets, get, gets, gets abused at home and they can't fight their parents, they take it out on whoever is at school. They, right the weaker. They need that they need that power. So this reminded me of torture. When we when when we when the United States was in such a, a a moment of peril in which we were uh we were I think sucker punched was how Toby Keith put it mm-hmm. in uh in courtesy of the red, white and blue. Or he says that we're, we're, we you got a swollen eye and we're looking out of it. We're going to put a boot in your ass and all that stuff. We might not have been able to, to exactly find all the people that did it. We can find suspected people that did it. Right. We can put them in a prison, put them in a black site, and do whatever we want to them, right?
1: Yeah.
0: It's like you said, it's that, that,
1: that feeling of powerlessness that gets you to turn bad where, like I said, you can't catch the guy, so you'll catch, you know, you know Khalid Sheikh Muhammad. And you end up waterboarding him to find out, try, you know, try to find out what you can. But simply, you take it to the extreme point where the guy at that point will tell you he wears panties. It's just to you just stop, you know, drowning him. Yes. So, essentially, you end up, you know, in, the, in your pursuit of trying to do good, you end up causing more harm and end up corrupting what you're trying to do. Because now the information you're getting isn't going to be no longer to be credible. Because this guy will tell you whatever you want to hear. So you stop drowning him. So I think, like you said, just that that powerlessness to be able to find this guy because they weren't able to get him because they lost. You know, they took their eye off the ball and basically changed their focus to Iraq, so they didn't end up finding the person. Instead of getting desperate for results, and that's why I think they ended up turning to this kind of a, you know, corruptness of, of you know. Like I said, we're always supposed to be the good guys, and the good guys don't do that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, the the good guys sometimes do pretty shitty things. Yeah. In order to do. keep, in order to keep getting good, if I could. uh if i can make another batman reference the dark knight rises gordon talks about how he had to do a lot of compromise and he had to let batman take the fall for Harvey dent's crimes and he says he says sometimes you just got to put your hands in the dirt in the in the, in the muck and he and he, he said that batman's the one that did it for him batman did the dirty work so he could still come out clean right and so that's why they use the
1: cia to do that kind of stuff yes that's why the military stays clean so that's why they use, you know, they'll use other groups or those, or those, you know, do rendition and send them to Egypt and let them do it. You know what I'm saying? You're still handing the person over knowing that's what's going to happen to them. So you may not actually be physically torturing the person, but because you gave them to these people that you know are going to do it, you're, you know, by yeah. extension, essentially doing it. And so You know yeah. what's
0: going to happen, yeah. Yeah,
1: so you're essentially still corrupting yourself. But you're giving yourself that that illusion of homeless innocence of like, you know, I, I'm not actually doing it. So it kind of gives you that, you know... Full sense of you know being clean on it.
0: Now, did you read the CIA's torture report? Uh, no, I have not read the whole uh, thing. Yet. I looked through some of it. It's available for PDF. You can look at it right online. There's actually a, a book printed version of it. Uh, very interesting. Very fucked up stuff. This next segment is right out of it. Uh, right out of the torture report. <clears throat> the committee reviewed twenty of the most frequent and prominent examples of purported counterterrorism successes that the CIA has attributed to the use of its enhanced interrogation techniques and found them to be wrong in fundamental respects. In some cases, there was no relationship between the cited counterterrorism success and any information provided by the detainees during or after the use of the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques. Enhanced interrogation, of course, torture. I like the rebranding. Yeah. The whole putting a bow on something that's terrible to make it look a little bit better, but this is uh, that—that—that's torture. And that whole thing there specifically said, you know, all the good information we got out of out of this whole thing didn't actually have anything to do with torture. Yeah,
1: I, they, a lot of people said that you're better off not doing it because you're better off building a rapport with the person and actually getting information out of them, as opposed to since you're trying to force it out of them. But like I said, it's when you're desperate you start, you know, turning to things that are ugly, you know, in desperation. So they start flailing for, you know, new ways of getting your information because maybe the old ways aren't working as fast as they want because they need, you know, a certain level of results in a certain given time. So they get desperate and, you know, these kind of ugly things end up happening. They end up corrupting the system and corrupting, like I said, the information they're getting. So They may have gotten good information, but if it gets buried in a, a pile of, you know,
0: misinformation, how do you pick out which is true, which isn't? Yeah, what studies... you? Uh what the, the? how do you figure out the science exactly of alright we found out that this guy's cousin actually has connections to Al-Qaeda and he told us because what because we pureed spicy hummus and shoved it up his ass right uh, which actually happened by the way really oh yeah dude there was a lot of rectal shit with, pun unintended in, in, uh, in, in the torture like yeah there was waterboarding there was force feeding too because some prisoners would starve themselves right uh, so they would, they would put them in a chair and just shove tubes down their throats. They would shove tubes up their asses and feed them that way. Well, which technically doesn't actually feed them, but that was just... It was torture. And, it, like, the stuff they showed you in the Zero Dark Thirty movie was just the tip of the iceberg right. with the stuff they did. And it's like you said, someone will tell you that he wears women's panties to just stop, you know, to stop you from torturing them. Right. And it's, uh, it's terrible. Gitmo hasn't been shut down yet. Didn't Obama say he was going to shut down Gitmo? Yeah, for eight years. Still yeah. <laughs> well, the
1: problem is that you know, he could say he wants to shut it down, but if they don't, he doesn't get the money from Congress to actually do it and transport people. You know. That's true. Nothing much happens. I think
0: another thing is that there's a problem that you end up creating more of a problem. If you don't do things the right way, in an economic standpoint, like you said, I'll save a penny today, but I'll have to spend $10 tomorrow it's the same thing if you put an accurate drone strike and don't kill innocent people you don't have people that now have a vendetta right because a lot I, I feel a lot of terrorists are just Batman in their own right. right right if your whole family was killed by by the infidels from wherever from America from another from another country then you're gonna grow up and your whole life's purpose is gonna be to stop these people right but, see, but I think I'll, to, I'll to get that from a drone strike though I think that in order to
1: do that, you would need to have, like, the sniper on the ground. You would need to put people in harm's way in order to get that kind of precision. Because the missile itself, I mean, it's going to have, an ex- you know, a blast radius bigger than the size of the person. Yeah. So if someone's in a car, someone's, you know, within 10 feet, they're going to die. 20 feet, they're going to die. That's why you need to have, like I said, you know, the unfortunate need of putting people on the ground to get that yeah. more close quarter kill. So that's why you don't have the collateral damage of killing, like you said, the kid, you know, the guy's uncle who ends up getting all those other kids to now, you know, turn against them because, like you said, now they're getting revenge just like anybody else would. Just like if, you know, it happened to somebody else you know, they'd want, you know, justice. You know, they're just, you know, their own version
0: of it. At another point, Batman ends up uh, packing a phone. So, like, once again, fuck you to anyone that says that this is not uh, an allegory in its own right. I, I believe it totally is because... Uh, what do we know about the U.S. and hacking phones? Right. I mean, they've been doing it forever. I mean, even even Batman even did it in, uh, what was it, The
1: Dark Knight? Correct. In The Dark Knight. he night. did it, and he was hacking, like, every phone the whole, in the entire city. Like sonar. To system. try and yeah, make the whole entire city took a sonar. You know, it's just... Like a submarine, Mr. I mean, William. it was started out with, you know, people like J. Edgar Hoover wiretapping people, you know, illegally so they could spy on Martin Luther King or whatever it happens to be. So it's just something that they've always... That's always just been done. I mean, it was a lot easier... It's probably even easier now with the computers, I guess, but they oh, used to yeah. just literally just tap a wire outside your house and be able to listen to all your phone calls or whatever. But it's just you know, as far as I'm concerned, like they always say, Oh, well, if you didn't do anything wrong, what do you gotta worry about? But my thing is, you know, I shouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah. You know, like you're supposed to be safe in your in your person, in your papers. No one's supposed to be able to, you know, spy on you unless they have probable cause. You know, it shouldn't be, you know, let me see what you got and then I'll see if there's probable cause. You know, at that point that I don't have freedom. At that point I might as well be walking through checkpoints.
0: Well, yeah, and it's uh, that, that was something that my girlfriend and I argued about a little while ago, and the Patriot Act ended. Right. And she said, oh, the Patriot Act ends today. And I was like, yeah, isn't it awesome? And she goes, no, it was keeping us safe. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, you know, we both had very different ideas as to what this did. And if you say it's a good reason, so we can do it, and the whole idea of we uh, if you don't have anything to worry about, why bother, right? Right. And this was, this was another... Uh, which book was it? It was a, it was a comic book called Justice. Mm-hmm. Which uh, artwork by Alex Ross. It was amazing. And... Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember the writer. I never remember the writer of this, but it was really good. And there's this moment where Batman and Superman are standing side by side. And Superman's gloating. And he, he, says, uh, he says, you know, Gotham's not like Metropolis. You can't do things the same way there. in, in Gotham it's a lot more unruly and Metropolis people are are better behaved and and uh, you know it's only the extreme criminals that, that 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 commit crimes and Batman just says yeah well in Gotham we don't have a man that can look through walls so how do you think everyone's going to behave in Metropolis right because someone's always watching, do you think they're behaving because they're really good people, or do you think they're behaving out of fear right so that's that's a whole that's all well, that creates the whole police state
1: situation then like uh East Germany or something where you know people are spying on each other, the government's spying on them I mean Benjamin Franklin said that if you know to give up you know some sense of freedom for a sense of security, you deserve not neither them yeah, you know what I'm saying because I mean, freedom in and of itself is a dangerous thing because people can do things with that freedom. But like I said, you you know, you got to live and die with it. You know, you can't give it up, you know, for a false sense of safety because you can never really truly be 100% safe.
0: If you just create a better class of person, you don't have to worry about
1: what people do with their freedom. Well, that's that's the main thing that you have to deal with. Like we talked about earlier, you have to deal with the underlying problems that will create, you know what I'm saying, whether it's basic street crime with Batman or, you know other levels, you know, whether it's coming with terrorism, you know what I'm saying? So if you start instead of having only funding going to madrasas, you know what I'm saying, or something like that, or mm-hmm. going to, you know, radicalize people in Ireland, you know, whatever it happens to be, you start, you know, doing things that are more altruistic and giving them, you know, regular education and stuff like that, instead of just giving this one sided kind of perspective, you would start solving a lot more problems.
0: And now I think everything will be great with the education system, right? Well, of course, we got a education secretary now that doesn't know what a student loan is. sure <laughs> uh, so she knows what the words are. Another thing that was very interesting about this was that uh, Bruce Wayne was able to get more information than Batman, which is something Alfred says to him. He, despite the fact that he had to go to a fucking underground bare knuckle brawl, uh, <laughs> in order in order to do this, but but he got more information from that than he did as going out on the streets and branding people and everything and. Joe, for the life of me, I kept searching for it, but I couldn't find it. Apparently, there were people that got more information from a terror suspect through a game of chess than they did through torture. Right. You heard about this too, right? Yeah, I've heard about it in a couple of situations. Where, like I said, it was chess. Another, another one
1: was uh, drinking tea. Where, like, yeah, you, you kind of... In treating them as human and not, you know, the enemy, or as some people would say, like a, like a vermin that needs to be exterminated, that, you know... I mean, I'd say they may not give up one hundred and ten percent of the information they know, but they'll certainly, you know, start, you know, giving more information, you know, and just kind of becoming more open and just being allowing themselves to kind of letting their guard down. Which then, like as time goes on, they build that relationship and rapport. You know, that will open up and that'll start allowing the information to flow. I just feel like when they do this kind of thing over torture, they're trying to beat it out of them as as opposed to letting instead of a person. Letting it pour out of themselves. And they kind of put themselves in a hole by doing that.
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, I think it's kind of easy. If you put someone in uh, an underground cave, hypothetically, which Gitmo is close, but it's not that. And if you strip them, which once again, I'm not saying it's right to, to put people in this situation. Strip them of these rights and, and basic things. But if I put you in a hole for five weeks straight, you're going to start to miss a lot of things. Yeah. You're going to start to miss human interaction. So maybe I play a game of cards with you every week, once a week, or maybe I get, you know, you give me some information that turns out to be good, you get a cupcake. It's simple shit like that. And it was a, there was a segment of torture and John Oliver too, where they spoke about it and, and there was this guy who's very cold and scary and he said that he'll talk to people, he'll talk to these terrorist suspects and tell them straight up, you're not getting out of here. You were here forever, but you have a family. You want your kid to go to a good school? You want your wife to be able to get by on the bills? Let's talk, let's work something out. You find something that that you know that you're gonna be able to manipulate them with, and that's that. Right, you find a motivating
1: factor for them. You know, a reason, like you said, they may not be getting out, you know, but you give them a, a reason to kinda look towards the future. You know, and the future isn't, like I said, in their family and in their kids. So that's what that's what their motivating factor motivating factor becomes. This way, you don't you know do it by by the kind of raw pressure and physical beatings. You do it by appealing to essentially their humanity of, of their family, by saying you know you know you you've let's say as long as it's not an unusual case where the person isn't completely innocent, oh, yeah. but they caught someone that actually is part of it, say a ISIS or an Al Qaeda. You know, what I'm saying, and you're talking like, look, you know, you did some bad things. So you're not you're not getting out of here. But like I said, you can make. You know, life better for your family by simply giving you some information. Where's, you know, where's the money guy? Where's the hideout? Where's the whatever? Like I said, you give them a motivating factor of, you know, we'll help your family, you know, get out. You know, get them out of that country or, you know, help them fund them with their education or, like I said, whatever it happens to be, give them protection.
0: You know what I would do? I'd put them in a, in, a, in a prison where no one's ever going to see him again. And then, I would use all the different ways that they had to be motivated to get them to do my dirty work. And, uh, all the, all the most dangerous terror suspects. And, and then, uh, I would, I would put a bomb on each of them, okay? And, uh, in addition, I would just put a bomb in their necks that explodes if they disobey my orders. And I would send them out to get my dirty work done and uh, I don't know some sort of squad maybe right. I don't know what they what I would call them exactly I don't know but, uh, uh, shit maybe like a squad that uh, is going on a suicide mission or literally if they're terrorists they might be suicide bombers there you so go. I don't know some sort of some sort of squad of suicide listen I don't know okay I don't know exactly what I would call it uh, but I should that, make a movie about that yeah you know what I probably should it would fall apart in the second act <laughs> That's what I have to do. Uh, but yeah, so so Batman hacks a fucking phone. So Batman does a lot of things in this film that we do not necessarily approve of, and he ends up at this moment where he is, uh, where he he has Superman under his foot, under his heel. He's cutting him to pieces, which he just scratches his cheek technically with this kryptonite spear. And, and uh, he, he finds out that they both have moms with the same name. Martha. Martha. Wait, why did you say that name? Um, what, what did you think of the Martha moment? Everyone hates the Martha moment. It is super
1: cheesy. But I do think it, it gives you that humanity, though. That connection between them that everybody's got a mom. Yeah. And everybody wants to take care of their mom and make sure their mom is safe. And that's, you know... Batman can't save his mom. His mom is gone now, but... Oh, dude. You know, Superman's mom is still there. That's why he makes that promise
0: to him. How good was that, Martha won't die tonight? It exactly. I was like, oh, fuck! Yes! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in America. That was so good. Martha won't die tonight. Uh, the the uh, you know the, uh, That moment, of my girlfriend, we went to see it in theaters. She caught it before it happened. Cause like she saw it and she was like, wait, both their moms are named Martha? And I was like, yes, shh! And she was like, well, why did they, why is that the case? I was like, that's how it is in the comics. She's like, well, they we should have changed it. So she totally caught that ahead of time. Uh, but I but I loved it. I think that, I think that it was definitely, in my opinion, one of the better parts of the film. A better detective version of Batman would have been able to, to figure it out. I honestly don't think that this version of Batman in BVS was Batman at his prime. He's a little older, A, but he's also very unhinged. He's acting erratically. He's doing crazy things. So I could see how he would miss the whole Martha part. Because guess what? He doesn't see him as Clark Kent. Right. He doesn't see him as a human. He's the other. Right. He's Superman. He's the alien. He's the alien. That's exactly it. Uh, Just similar to how we we don't see these people as people that are leaving a war-torn country. We see refugees. We see... uh, Someone that gets... Someone that gets locked up and deported is... They're an illegal... Right. They're not a person. They're not a person that gave up everything to come here and work a job that you yourself won't even fucking work. Right. Uh, I think the only
1: moment that kind of broke through with that was when they found that picture of that baby that had died in the, on the shores. Oh, shit. When they when the boats capsized, I think that oh, was a Oh, for the Syrian? Right. I think that was a moment where they kind of... People kind of humanized them a bit. But yeah, for the most part, they'll always look them as... They won't look at them the same way. They won't think at them as you know these people are fleeing, you know, with their families, and they never see it as the same kind of human moment. Yeah,
0: and I, I just I, li- I like the whole idea of you know every, we're all someone's son or daughter or whatever, and you know does that mean that some people aren't pieces of shit? No, it doesn't. Unfortunately, uh, this this humanization was very similar to me uh, to to this whole. Do you know Terry Holdbrooks? Yeah. Terry Holbrooks was actually a uh, former guard for Guantanamo. And uh, now he he speaks out against it. He actually does have a book it's called Traitor, with a question mark. Traitor? Uh, <laughs> sorry, that just reminded me of Finn from episode 7. TRAITOR! uh but yeah it's it's called traitor because that that, that's another case right like whenever anyone calls the government out or calls the military out on its shit and tries to uphold the standard of justice that they believe in they're known as a traitor right edward snowden uncovered war crimes and he's a traitor chelsea manning uncovered war crimes and she's a traitor uh terry holdbrooks is talking about the war crimes that are committed in guantanamo and there's a lot of fucked up shit he's a traitor well, it's like you know
1: anybody that lets out secrets you don't want out. You know, even if it's your friends, you know that tells your girlfriend about how you did something. You know, what do you look yeah. at him as? You know, he's yeah. a traitor. to he's the bank Code. You shouldn't have told. You, you shouldn't know? have told yeah. her, even though you did the right thing. Right. Exactly. Even though you did the uh, right, the upstanding thing. That if it was a kid and someone did something wrong, you always tell the kid. You know, tell someone. You know that this happened. Yeah. But when you're older, the rules kind of change. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain rules that are okay to break and mm-hmm. not tell anybody. So it certainly has that. You know, like I said, some person's traitor. You know. Is somebody else's truth teller? Yeah, you
0: know, in that sense. I loved. I. I just. Uh, I like the Martha moment, especially because it brought Batman back to his senses, and it shows that how how broken of a person he really is. And this whole time, he was seeing Superman as the other, and at no point did he stop to think this guy has a mom, and uh, and what do you know? This 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 mom has the same name as 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 mine. And, uh, and it, 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 was, it was a humanizing moment, and I think that no matter who you're afraid of or weary of or uncertain of, if, if, if you take a moment to get to know someone like them, you see things differently. I empathize greatly with the Muslim community facing a lot of persecution because I have Muslim friends. Right. And I don't, I, I don't even think of them as a Muslim first. I think one of my, uh, one of my best friends from college, he, he loves the John Wick movies. He likes a lot of action movies. Uh, I, you know, he'll, He likes playing video games. He's really savvy with computers. And he's a cool dude. And he's fun to eat with and hang out with and watch shows with. But, uh, you know, is, Islam is just a part of who he is. Right. in my opinion. It's not entirely who, who he is overall. It's, I have a different experience too, because you can see undocumented, you can see the illegals and see them as criminals, and they're taking your jobs and all this other stuff. At 15 years old, I was living in a house full of day laborers. And it wasn't the day laborers that kicked me out of a house at that time. It was, you know, a white upper middle class family that I was living with. And I ended up living in a house of day laborers, and every, every time I went into that kitchen to get some food, I would have to talk to them. And we'd talk in Spanish. I'd find out about the guy from Ecuador that's missing his family, and he's trying to make whatever money he can to send back to them, and, and he's just getting shit over and over again from all the people he has to work for, and he doesn't have any health insurance, and... (sighs)
1: People are people. I think just a lack of exposure to other people is what causes a lot of their fear. It's easy. Like I said, by, by sitting down with them and having dinner with them, you get to know them a lot better. They see, you know, like I said, whether it's, you know, they say like it, that's what made it harder with politics. That people no longer had their families there, so they didn't eat dinner together. They didn't see him at the sports games, so they didn't see him as a dad and as a husband. They just always saw them as the political opponent, which is what makes it so much harder now. Like before, like I said, with old you know old sports players, they used to go out together, so they were... They have that same kind of animosity and fighting between themselves. It's just, like I said, when you see people outside of that one arena and you seeing them like in their everyday life, it, it it softens the way you look at them. Like you kind of humanize them more. You kind of understand them. You empathize with them more because you see the stuff that goes on. You know when they're helping because their kid hurt their ankle, and you you know, kind of know what that's like because you had that with your son or what happens to be. It's like some of those kind of just interactions where, like I said, if you do sit down with, like I said, some of my friends I worked with at post. That I became really good friends with, you know, or, or a Muslim as well. Like I said, you can sit down with them, you're having, you know, eating eating food together. Like I said, you go into lunch, and you know, you're playing soccer together or whatever happens to be. And you kind of, you know, having these common moments together. You know, you, like I said, you don't see them as as one thing or another. You just see them as a person. As a person. You know, who just happens to you know celebrate this religion, or just happens to you know be gay, or just happens to be whatever. Yeah. Like I said, the people are people, and just you know everybody has their own you know smaller characters
0: to make them up, but that's not all you know who they are as a whole which like holy fuck have you had halal food like if, if that doesn't just bring peace to this world I don't know what will right yeah I mean
1: like I said the food oh, is great I mean I've so- had you know whether it's Persian <laughs> or Turkish or yeah like I said it's, it's just you know like I said it's just you know the the spices of life just the, the variety you know of having you know all the different kinds of food
0: that's a you know I'm a big foodie comes Batman, that kind of Batman and Superman should have had a meal exactly a meal together, but yeah, I don't know. A lot of a lot of people. So, once again, I just think Batman's wounded, and that, and he's not perfect in this movie, and that's something that that we should realize about ourselves also, that maybe we're not always acting so altruistically, and we're not always acting as the protectors, and that we we are still very wounded from from bad things that have happened, and we're still holding on to those. Yeah, we hope you have that Martha moment where you do get. You know,
1: that moment of clarity where you get smacked back into reality and realize that this person that you've been hating is a person just like you, you know, and has the same kind of feelings and has a mom and, you know, you know, it gives them back to that, you know, that human feeling so you don't no longer see them as as an other or someone that's, you know, should be extinguished. I think that's what we got to kind of move towards and kind of, you know, push in other people to kind of make those kind of connections so, so we don't
0: always have that distance between us. Which... Do you know what movie? I was actually surprised they did that in Which American movie? Sniper. Really? Did you see American Sniper? Yeah. Remember the rival sniper that was made up for the film? And there, there was the there was a rival sniper who was apparently an Olympic level sniper uh-huh. and like, uh, at one point they show him in his war torn town and he has a wife and a child. And they don't make a big the- deal of it, but he's like, all right, I gotta go, and he leaves. I thought that that was great, because you obviously saw from Chris Kyle's side, and he was leaving behind his family, right, uh, to go to go and fight, but this guy was also leaving behind his family too, right, and that's that's the case. War is hell. Every person that dies, I don't care how alone you are, that that person belongs to somebody. That person means something to someone. Yeah, someone yeah. will miss them. Exactly. Yeah, and it the you know it doesn't doesn't make things easy. It doesn't make things right or wrong. There's a lot of grays when it comes to to ethical dilemmas like that. I'm sure even the worst person in the world, somebody loves them. Right, and somebody will mourn them. Yeah, so, uh, oh, it's just crazy to think about. You think about the worst person, <laughs> and that if they were gone, you know, who would miss them? But, uh, yeah, the Martha moment say what you want, but. Yeah, if we're lucky, we still have a mom. You know, at one point we did. You know, and that's uh, that that just try to find that common ground. Right. It Those may not be. It may not be a, a having having a mom, but it may be. It may be something else, and you you never realize how much. You and your perceived enemy have in common. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, any closing statements for part two? Uh, just that, you know, remember everybody's got a mom. <laughs> maybe she's named Martha. That's, that's good. Everybody's got a mom. And you know what? I think that you can always have the chance to do the right thing. Because Batman did have that redeeming moment. Right. He had that Martha won't die tonight moment. Which meant just as much to him as it did to Superman. Right. And then he decimated an entire (laughs) warehouse full of dudes in order to make sure she (laughs) didn't die. They did, but she didn't. That's right. Yeah. So, Joe, I want to thank you very much for being here with me for part two of our Batman vs. Superman episode of the Politipop podcast. Once again, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at Pod. Email us using politipopcast at gmail.com. Look up our show notes and sources on politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. For the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. And I'm I'm Joe. (laughs) Just like McLovin. Until next time, part three, where we discuss the the third parties of this film and, and what they represent. Never stop thinking. Never stop learning. No matter what you're watching, no matter what you're reading, no matter what you're taking in, always make sure to read between the lines. Martha. <laughs> Why did you say that hey? <laughs> <laughs> Never stop there and Can- <laughs> yeah, Punch drug. I don't, I'm trying to think of one person names. i too tired right now. <laughs> Prince. Yeah. Oh, it oh. they- did Prints fuck Well now I gotta now I gotta save that for the next one. That you okay, you know, Jonathan and Martha Kent. We think it would be in Lois
1: Lane's editorial when she you know did her background on Superman. Well she'd we be in
0: there. You she would have mentioned Martha Kent? You don't think so? She went to Kansas. She no well the remember she ended up not running it? She buried the story? Yeah, she buried the story because uh Clark spoke to her, and sh- and he was like, "My dad died to protect my secret," and blah blah blah. So then she went to Perry White. This is a Man of Steel. She went to Perry White, and uh, and she was like, "I'm not gonna run it." And he's like, "Wait, what? You're not going to?" And she's like, nope And he goes, "I think you found something out there, something you don't want people to know." You know, so there's that whole thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, she didn't. She didn't publicly say what Superman's identity was. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, otherwise no wonder why Lex fucking Luther <laughs> figured it out. <laughs> yeah things happening. And which is what we were talking about before, right? The offensive, defense, and uh you know the the the, the pre-, pre-, pre preminent? Pre preeminent? Right. Preeminent. Pre pre proactive. Some bad shit. I'm gonna edit that up. <laughs>